0: Welcome back to Question Field, the place where you ask the questions and we feel them. I am Brian. And I'm Campbell. And Campbell, you know, I was thinking about it, Campbell. If you, the place where you are in the world right now, right, if there were two land masses and you were to build some infrastructure between them and <laughs> and I were to go visit that, right, I could say I came to Cam's Bridge in Cambridge, I could wow. I could say that you I probably wouldn't. Really though.
1: could. It's even better actually because the <laughs> the river in Cambridge is called the River Cam, hence the hence the name. Really. So you would be visiting a bridge over Cam with Cam in Cambridge. There we go.
0: <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> this is a <laughs> what an intro. What an intro. <laughs> this is part 2 of uh our discussion on quantum computers because We just could not, we literally could not get enough. So, we uh, are back to try and make some more sense of this. And we're, you know, if you, so I highly recommended that you go back and listen to episode one. But quantum computers is also one of those things where, like, you know, if you, if you jump in just right here, you know, you'll probably catch on pretty quickly. And it's very difficult to understand (laughs) anyway. So, Yeah, you know, do what you want. We're not, we're not your parents. We're not. Do whatever you want. There are no rules. All right. So Campbell, we were talking about topological superconducting quantum computers. I did mention that at one point, yes, yes. um uh, in the last episode, and so, as if quantum computers weren't enough, we added topological super superconducting um so <laughs> so there are a few words that we should break down in that yeah <laughs> in that phrase, yes, um so the question for question field this week is what 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 <laughs> <laughs> that's a good question
1: it's one of my favorites, I think um <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, the answer to the question what is, is very involved. Um, there is also the question why. and <laughs> As well perhaps, as where and how. And that's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so maybe it could be good to start with the why and then that maybe gives a bit of motivation for the what. Sure. So before last episode, we were talking about qubits, um, thinking about qubits as these arrows pointing around in space, at this, you know, at some point on a globe, and we were also talking about computations that you can do with qubits. Um, and so the way that you do those computations is that you start with some initial state. Maybe all of your qubits are pointing in the up arrow state; they're pointing upwards. And then you do some gates on that state. So those gates can involve rotating the qubit arrows. Maybe they involve making some entanglement between the qubits. Some other mysterious things, mm-hmm. and then you do some measurements and you get an outcome. And so that's a quantum computation. That's all that it involves. And Easy. we very glibly said, that's, that's it. That's all that you need to do. <laughs> Obviously, that's incredibly difficult. And one of the reasons it's incredibly difficult to do this stuff is that when you have some physical manifestation of a qubit, you maybe have an ion or you have a photon, that is an incredibly fragile system you can have a little bit of what's called noise, environmental noise, come along and give it a bit of a jostle and all of a sudden your qubit uh, can be in a new state or it can be in some some random state that you don't really know. Or maybe you just don't have very good control of your qubit. Maybe you want to do a rotation by 45 degrees and instead you do one by 49 degrees or something like that. Mm. You know? And and uh, over time, maybe those errors add up and and just destroy the information and make your quantum computer
0: useless <laughs> so it's it's kind of like the equivalent of having a walkman in the 90s and it's just like you know any bump and your cd would skip and it's kind of yeah, yeah yeah uh, yeah the
1: discman right the yeah. uh the thing that you would like try so hard not to <laughs> yeah. to rock and then right. if you're in a car or something you're, you're screwed
0: <laughs> so so same thing same thing okay
1: it's exactly the same yeah <laughs> Um, but, I mean, there is an analogy with CDs that we could make. For example, uh, we, we were actually talking about CDs, you know, a couple of episodes ago. And one thing that you could do to protect your information from, for example, scratches, right? I mean, you can scratch up your CD and it can still be readable. Maybe this is this is showing our age. Maybe this is not going to be accessible <laughs> whatsoever to the <laughs> So, to kids, the back generation. in but, the
0: day when Grandpa yeah, yeah, Brian that's right. and Grandpa <laughs> Campbell were growing up, we had these shiny things... Um. <laughs> That's
1: it. Um, so anyway, you can scratch them and they'll still be readable. Um, so scratching a CD is kind of like introducing some noise into your system. The way that you make your CD readable when you scratch it is to repeat your your bits over and over again a bunch of times. If you want to have a zero on your CD, so in one one of your bits, you want that to be a zero, well instead of just doing one zero, um, you have five zeros or something. And if you if one of your zeros gets flipped to a one or just gets corrupted in some other way, you can't read it. Well, no worries you've still got four other zeros there. Hmm. Maybe you can maybe if you read one zero 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 zero, then um, then you'll be like, well, in all likelihood there's been something that has occurred here on the first bit that's flipped it from zero to a one. And I'll just flip it back to a zero, and then I'll be fine, mm-hmm. Monkey Dory. Right. So um, that's something like that is what we would like to do with a quantum computer. One thing that you can do is to use what's called a quantum code, which is quite a. It, it feels the, like the, a very the newest know, band-y. the
0: newest novel from Tom Tom Clancy.
1: <laughs> that's true. Yeah, quantum code. Um, so a quantum code is is the analog of that repetition that we did with our bits Mm -hmm. so if i take one bit a zero and i repeat it five times that's that's like a code i encode the information of a single bit into the state of five bits Mm -hmm. um, by just repeating it's a a repetition code Mm -hmm. it's the same thing as if if i really want to get my point across um, i say the same point over and over again
0: (laughs) and if you want to really get your point across you say the same thing over and over again if I really want
1: to get my point across, I say the same thing every okay. Oh yeah, that's a terrible joke. But <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> um, yeah, that's right. So, okay, so that's that's one route to dealing with this problem of fragile quantum states. Mm. Use a quantum code. That's a perfectly good option.
0: I'm about um, to hear a big, however, though. That's yeah, a, a however,
1: <laughs> you can do something else, and you can find physical systems that can encode your qubits. That are impervious to noise by their very nature. Mm. So this is this very exciting, um, exciting thing about uh, topological superconducting mm. quantum computing, yeah. um, <laughs> is that the the superconductor that you use to store your bits, oh your qubits, sorry, is really impervious to noise. It's it's like incredibly resilient. So that's the um, that's the sort of why that's the pitch for topological superconducting
0: quantum computing. Right. yeah. <laughs> Right, because it, it, it ultimately comes down to we want our results to be, we want our results to be to be as close to right as possible. That's right. Yeah.
1: yeah. So if you have some noise in your system, and this noise can be, you know, may, maybe maybe the environment, the environment that the qubit system sits, sits in comes along and somehow makes a measurement of the qubit before we want it to. So then, or if you remember from last time, a measurement. Changes the state of the qubit. Maybe the st- the qubit is initially pointing to the right, and then after the measurement, it points up or down. Right. And then you can imagine that if may- maybe if we're doing some complicated set of gates on our qubits, then if I measure one of them, that's going to uh, change the output probabilities that I have of my of my answer. So, for example, if the environment measures the first qubit mm. and it gets the output zero. This is a very hand wavy right, way of thinking right. <laughs> about this, but you know, loosely speaking, then you know it's much more likely that the uh, that the output of the computation is going to is going to have zero in the first um, in the first measurement slot. Mm-hmm. You know, I measure the first qubit to be in the zero state, right? Um, or maybe maybe it flips the qubit from being pointed up to pointed down, or from pointed right to pointed left, or you know, right. that's that's all possibilities that the noise can do. Yeah. And so the reason that we care about it is that we want to actually do these computations and get the right answer is right. exactly what you said. Yeah. And so do the words topological and superconductor mean anything to you? Uh,
0: let's start with superconductor. Uh, it has to do with taking some element and uh, I believe they need to be chilled to near absolute zero, perhaps? That's right. Yeah. And... For most of them. For most of them. What's What's the... Uh, what is the element of choice here? What is the if you if you could choose which which element you would use for your super you know to, to chill? What what is what's on what's at the top of the menu?
1: Well, that's a very good question and a very difficult one. For example, you, most most metals, when you cool them down to cold enough temperatures, will superconduct. For example, aluminium superconduct
0: that's aluminum and, for us here in the states. oh, oh yes sorry sorry <laughs> i forgot that there's a uh,
1: also people that uh pronounce it incorrectly um, <laughs> um and okay so most metals superconduct there are also uh sort of compounds and and complicated ceramics that when you cool them down will superconduct mm. but the what, what does it actually mean to superconduct
0: well i guess <laughs> to to superconduct would be to conduct, but much better <laughs> would be much Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. There we
1: go. So usually we think of current flowing and when current is flowing through a circuit, there are a few things that we usually have. We have, usually have a voltage, right? Uh, and then there's current um, and then there's resistance, right? Yeah. And if you have all those things, usually... You have Ohm's Law, mm-hmm. um, which maybe maybe you know about. Oh, love um, Ohm's v- Law, yes. Yeah, V equals IR. Um, so anyway, these things are related to each other. Um, in a superconductor, your resistance is zero, which is quite weird. And it's very weird, in fact. Mm-hmm. You can set a current in motion and it will continue to flow forever. So there's no, you know, there's no voltage drop mm-hmm. that's happening. Right. Um, but
0: it's keeping on flowing. So okay, that's, that sounds like yeah. one. That sounds like one of those things where mathematicians hate superconductors for what they do. To Homes- <laughs> yeah, that's right.
1: But no, anyway. Um, but yeah, that's the idea. And and it's usually in physics, we say something is zero, and what we actually mean is it's very close to zero, or we say something is I don't know one or equal to pi kilograms, right, and we right. mean well plus or minus. 0.001 kilograms, or something right, like that. Right, right, right. But really, in superconductors, it is as close to zero as we can, as we can com- confidently say. You know, mm. it's it's very, it's, it is basically zero. You can set this thing going and come back in ten years, and the current is still going to be flowing. So it's pretty exciting, pretty weird. Um, and what what's going on here is superconductors are fundamentally quantum mechanical objects. Mm-hmm. The the reason that they allow for current to flow indefinitely is a quantum reason. and so I, we don't really have the time to go into the depths of what superconductors are and how they work and part of the reason is that we don't necessarily have a great understanding of how superconductors work in all situations. Mm. but basically this is the the you know the, this is the feature that, that presents itself most strikingly, right, the right. fact that you have current flowing um, indefinitely. Okay, so that's superconductors. We also have the, the word topological yes. um, in, in oh. that uh, phrase from earlier. So, so what does that mean to you?
0: Uh, all right, so I mean, I feel like topology, when I've come across it ever, it has to do with the, like the, you know the, how, many, how many holes does a straw have, that kind of...
1: Yeah, th- those sorts of questions, yeah. exactly. Like uh, donuts and coffee mugs and stuff. Uh, To to just explain for the uninitiated what I was saying before. Me, me, I'm the
0: uninitiated. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, So if you have a a donut and maybe it's made out of Play-Doh or putty, I can stretch and mold and and, um, squish this putty into the shape of a a coffee mug without tearing the putty at all. Um, And the reason that I can do that is because they both have one hole uh, or handle. So the, the coffee mug has a handle. But that is effectively the same thing as the hole in the center of the donut, right? And so, yeah, that's this this topological feature of. Um, so of it's essentially
0: surface. saying that there's like two classes of features that an object can have, and like there's mm-hmm. this more the the more fundamental one is the fact that you need to like for in this example you need to have a hole, you need to have that hole somewhere, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. on top of that class is the second class, which is. Do whatever you want and it can look like whatever as long as you still have your 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 one hole and that doesn't go away
1: yeah that's that's a great way of thinking about it so to rephrase what you're saying um you have geometric features of of an object like um like a shape like a donut one, right and these geometric features are not stable to um to sort of deformations that you can make of your shape right Mm -hmm. if i if i sort of uh put a little dent in my donut then all of a sudden, the curvature around that region of the dent is changed, and maybe the surface area of the donut is changed, and so on and so forth. Sure. But then, on top of that, you have topological features, and those features, such as the number of holes that you have in your shape, those are those do not change when you when you make small deformations. So what's going on here is that you have a number which characterizes your shape, right? It's, uh, for example, the number of holes that the shape has. And that number doesn't change when you squish or stretch the shape, when you make small deformations of that shape. Okay. And this this same property is found in physical systems as well. So I can find numbers uh, that describe the state of my system. These are called topological invariants. Very uh, analogous to the... The number of holes in a 3d shape like a donut these numbers these topological invariants that characterize the state of my system also don't change when i make small deformations to that system right so in the physical case the deformation is going to be something like changing some parameters slightly or applying some fields or something like that if we go to the case of of superconductors of topological superconductors there is a number which characterizes the state of my system and that number cannot change when i only make small deformations uh small uh sort of manipulations of my system it's sort of stable it's this like really stable property of my of my system and this is going to be the crucial fact that is going to mean that our system is really is really resilient to noise and is and is very very useful for quantum computation
0: well i guess the so I, i'm assuming that there are these quantum computers that that do not utilize the potential benefits of the topological superconducting, quant, mm-hmm. you know, with, mm-hmm. what those quantum computers are doing. So, mm-hmm. uh, and, and our aim is to reduce noise. So if I was a little more on board with how having, you know, the, the no resistance, like, I, yeah. I, I understand that, I don't understand, but I have... My intuition is helping me kind of see where that could be useful in helping yeah. reduce noise. So, where does mm. what is the, the topology? Yeah. Where, okay. where is that connection?
1: So I think this is probably most easy to answer by talking specifics as opposed to broad, right. uh, you know, broad hand wavy stuff. So, the specifics are um, kind of funky. So, <laughs> Uh, what, we're, what we're dealing with here is not three-dimensional chunks of superconductor. Um, what we're dealing with here is either two-dimensional wafers, like very, very, very thin sheets, mm. or one-dimensional strands or nanowires mm. um, of superconductor. So very, very narrow wires, something mm. like that. Right. Um, and the sorts of phases that we're interested in only appear in these two-dimensional or one-dimensional systems. Okay. Okay, so that's the first thing that we're sort of building up to the main result here. Yeah. So maybe the easiest thing to talk about is what I'm maybe more familiar with, which is um, the the one-dimensional case. And so this is actually existing in labs today. So this is quite exciting. But um, there are labs in the world today with um, these tiny little nanowires, which are... You know, nano nanometer thicknesses and like tiny, 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 um, and these nanowires superconduct so that they so they can have charges flowing within them uh, with no resistance. And like I said before, what it means to have this superconductor in a topological state is that there's a number that characterizes this system which doesn't change when you when you sort of perturb that system. Right? Mm-hmm. It's this topological invariant. Okay, so now now I've sort of built up to uh, be able to describe exactly what this number is is telling us physically about the system. Uh, so this number can take two values it's either zero or one in our superconductor, there are energy levels that our electron can sit at and when and this number, this topological invariant is describing the number of these energy levels that are exactly at zero energy. okay. So if this number is 1, I can put one electron into my system without adding any energy to that system. And if that number is 0, I can't do that. So it's 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 describing the number of these states that an electron can sit in that are at zero energy. But that's just the sort of first that's just the first pass at understanding this this topological state in a in a nanowire. The reason that there, that there is this um, this zero energy state for an electron is, is because there's something funky going on at the ends of the, of the nanowire. So the strange thing that's going on at the ends of the wire is that there are what are called quasi-particles um, that sit at each end of, of that wire when you're in the topological state. Mm. So have you, have you come across this, this word quasi-particle before?
0: So, I mean, particles could be their own episode, uh, all on their own absolutely um i guess in the quantum sense uh particles are uh represented in these or they they are like an artifact of fields that mm-hmm. permeate mm-hmm. and yeah. uh and again like the thing that i've picked up over the years is that you know particles are could be thought of as like excitations in yeah in these fields and so is it so when you talk about a quasi particle, are we talking about like somewhat of a perturbation in these fields, and but not but not really, or is it like kind a, of. It's, a, it's like a potential. It's like,
1: the, it's like the field itself is 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 somehow the somehow a collective phenomenon of uh, a more fundamental system. Mm. So in the superconductor, you've got all these electrons moving about, um, and you've got some some metal ions maybe that are also sitting there in a lattice and you've got the sea of electrons that are moving in between the in in between the ions Mm. and something about the collective motion of these electrons can produce little things that are you know little i don't know eddies or you can think about maybe vortices or you know swirling currents or something like that which we can think of as themselves particles and yeah, and it is it's it is quite confusing to, to think about. So I think maybe this, again, deserves its own episode, as you say. But yeah, for example, sound, right? Sound can move through a medium like um, a crystal or a block of um, right. brick or I don't know, something mm-hmm. um, by propagating waves, right? Maybe if all of the atoms are in a lattice, then as a sound wave comes along and hits the boundary of this, this lattice, it sends the... Um, so first row of atoms in a little bit, which then bumps the next row, and then you get this this propagating wave passing through the um, through the material. So you can sort of think of these waves as being particles in and not, in and of themselves, in the same way that photons, which are waves in the electromagnetic field, are par- okay. particles. Okay. So yeah. so yeah. these waves are called phonons because they there's presumably some Greek. Yeah, <laughs> connection there. I don't know. <laughs> um, so, but, so it's almost... Yeah, something to do with sound as yeah, opposed to yeah. light. Maybe thinking of the phonon case, there, there are sort of two different descriptions that you could have of that system. You could think of it as either a lattice which is vibrating in some way, mm-hmm. or you can think of it as just a box with a bunch of phonons in it. Okay, <laughs> and the phonons are are waves that are bouncing off the sides of the box right, or something right, like that. Right, right, right. Okay, that's the sort of the sort of idea. But the take-home is that there is something strange again happening at the ends of these nanowires, these superconducting nanowires. And we can think of th- that strange thing as being the presence of a certain type of particle, certain type of quasi-particle, mm-hmm. which again is just some collective phenomenon, con- collective motion of the right, electrons right. And, and that kind of thing. Okay, so, so at this stage, I'm going to introduce an analogy, which is uh, pretty odd, but <laughs> I think it's going to maybe help to, to understand things. So one of these particles, which is called, by the way, a Majorana fermion, or just a Majorana, yes. that's like spelled M-A-J-A-R-O-N-A. So it's <laughs> it's um, it's uh, named after an Italian physicist who came up with this idea for a particle. Yeah. Um, and, okay, so uh, we, we can have these Majoranas, which are sitting at the ends of the nanowire. And the way to think about these Majoranas is that it's like each of them is... Like half of a house. It's like a house which is a which is split in two, split down the middle. Mm. Which means that if I have two of these houses or two of these half houses, I can kind of bring them together and form a whole house, right? right. Okay. So if I have two Majoranas, I have a whole house, and there's something that can live in that house, and that is an electron. Okay. <laughs> so it's a very weird system. But 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 okay. So we've got these Majoranas. They're sitting at opposite ends of the of a nanowire. Mm. And if there are two of them, then I have a house that an electron can either inhabit or not inhabit. Okay. With me so far?
0: Yes. Okay.
1: And the reason that this is exceptionally weird is that these Majoranas can be very, very far apart. This nanowire can be really long.
0: Yeah. So if you have the two of them, the electron would have to be... Where would it be? It would have to be... (laughs) Yeah. Where where, where is it, right? So
1: it's... Yeah, you can think of it in different ways. Maybe you want to think of it as as sort of splitting in half, and sit and ha- these two electron halves are are each sitting in their own half house. Or you can think of it as being fifty percent likely, or there being a fifty percent probability that it's sitting in this house. Or the other, or, sorry, house. sitting in this half house. position here at the end half house exactly, or in this half house. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, ni- neither of those ways is really well. I guess I, I guess the second way is, is more accurate. I mean, there's no actual electron that's actually being split in two, but that's a nice way of thinking about it, really. Okay. So with me so far? Y-
0: yes. So we have we have our our string, our superconducting mm-hmm. nano string with yep. no resistance. At the end of the string. So it's a, we got a party going on on the string and then we have two bouncers mm-hmm. at at either door, the front door and the back door. <laughs> yeah. But it's only half a bouncer. And when you have <laughs> when you have one whole bouncer, that mm-hmm. means you have an electron and the electron is could be at the front the front of house or the back of the house or not not the house, the club, at the front of the club yeah. or the back of the club.
1: Yeah, that kind of thing. Okay. But but just be careful. So when you have two of these myrons, these two half bouncers, right. You don't necessarily have an electron in that house. R- okay. Right? You, okay, that's. The- it could be an empty house.
0: Okay. So you, yeah. So there, <laughs> you have your half bouncers that may or may not have an electron. Yeah, they they
1: may have already let the electron in, or they might be <laughs> keeping it out. Okay. Maybe the electron's too drunk.
0: I don't right. know. <laughs> drunk the drunk electrons. We're just kicking out the bad <laughs> names today, man. We're gonna yeah. So, in the last episode, we talked about
1: physical manifestations of qubits. And I said that if you had some system with two states, you could call one of those states zero and one of those states one, and all of a sudden it looks like you've got a qubit. Right? Remember, like with the polarization of a photon, the photon could be polarized horizontally or it could be polarized vertically. Mm. And if I call one of those states zero and one of those states one, then it looks like I've got a qubit and right. I can consider a superpositions of those of those right. two states and whatnot. Well, in this current case, we've got a state of uh, zero electrons being in the house and a state of one electron being in the house um, or the club or whatever. And so it kind of looks like we've got a qubit, right? Mm-hmm. And in fact, we basically do. <laughs> <laughs> so in in reality, you need, uh, rather than two Majoranas, which make one house, you actually need four Majoranas, which make two houses. And then say you you add an electron into that system. Then if my Majoranas are, are oriented in a square, then the electron could be in the top house, so in the in the house formed by the two halves or the two Majoranas at the top of right. the top oh, corners of the right. square. Or the electron could be in the bottom house. And I'll call the, the former the zero state and the latter the one state. Okay. So what are your thoughts on that? Is it weird? Is it natural? Is uh,
0: it... it is... Well, you are introducing an electron for sure because you were saying either either mm-hmm. they could have the electron or not the, when you have one. Um, but now you have yeah, two... There's
1: definitely an electron in... If you, consi- if you count all the electrons in both houses, mm-hmm. your answer will be one. Okay, <laughs> yes. Yeah.
0: Um, all right. So then how do you go about uh, measuring that or getting the...
1: Okay, so... For example, maybe you want to. So you've you've got a qubit. So you've yeah you have accepted the fact that I have two states here, and that means I kind of have a qubit. Right. Um, and maybe I want to measure that qubit. So the way that you would do that, to extend the analogy a little bit or the metaphor, is you would ask, is there an electron in the top house? And if the answer is yes, then you know that the well then then that's your Your answer. The answer is yes. That means that the qubit is in the state zero because we said that if the electron is in the top house, we define that as the state zero. Right. Now, if the answer is no, you know, there's no electron in the top house, then because you know that there's a total of one electron in the system, it must be in the bottom house. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so you've measured the qubit to be in the state one. Okay. So uh, there is there is another feature which is kind of cool is that there's a really nice way of understanding the left and right arrow states of your qubit. Remember, when thinking about the qubit as an arrow pointing in space, it could be pointing up or down. That's zero and one. But it could be also pointing to the to the right or to the left or forwards and backwards. Hmm. So thinking about the right arrow state, we can conceptualize that as the electron, rather than being in the top house or the bottom house, it's in the rightmost house. So if I take the, the two Majorana's to the right of the square they are both half houses they can form a full house oh yeah, yeah. they're sort of rightmost house and the electron is in that then the qubit is in the right arrow state and similarly if the electron is in the leftmost house then it's in the left arrow state so maybe another that way is... of thinking about it is
0: no i am like just saying, thinking... like that's oh, like oh, sorry, go ahead. no that's that seems pretty efficient that seems pretty yeah, that's <laughs> nice right <laughs> yeah it's a nice
1: way of thinking about it yeah yeah. Another way of thinking is that, um, you know, these Majoranas are kind of sharing an electron, mm-hmm. and the question of which elect which Majoranas share the electron is equivalent to which state
0: is the qubit. Right, in. yeah. So you, you can have really top-bottom... Mm-hmm. I'm I'm, right. I'm pointing all over the place for our listeners, <laughs> which is, which is just perfect for this auditory media. Yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. But I no, no, no. just assume no just pointing put, is great. Pointing picture is it, in, picture it in your head, everybody, and and I got it right. So so yeah, that seems handy. Does that have? So yeah, you mentioned that as a feature. Is the is mm. how does that play yeah, out so as th- a feature? Exactly.
1: Yeah. So say that you can move these my now, I introduce them as being at the ends of nanowires, right? So it's a bit confusing as to how you can move them. Like, it seems like you've got a wire and they're either there or they're not. Right. Um, it turns out that you can make networks of these wires and you can kind of shuttle the Majoranas around these networks. So they're, they're kind of... They're like little um, cars moving about a, in a tunnel network or something right. like that. And, okay, so say, say I have... Uh, this grid, this square with with one electron in between the four Majoranas, and so that's again a qubit. And maybe I start with the myronas in the sorry, if I I start with the the electron in the top two Majoranas in the in the upper house. Mm. Then maybe I want to um, change my qubit state to be pointing in the um, in the right arrow state. Yeah, I want I start with it pointing up, and I want to rotate it to pointing to the right. So one way that you could do that is by simply moving your Majoranas around so that the the Majoranas that are sharing the electron are now located to the right of the square. Mm-hmm. So that process of m- taking two Majoranas and exchanging their locations is called braiding. And the the connection to braids that you do with, with hair right, right. is is a is a sort of extra layer, but it's it basically has to do with considering the paths that these particles or these majoranas take through space time Mm -hmm. um so we can talk about space time and world lines and all this sort of stuff a bit later but um but basically if you think about the paths through space time that these majoranas take then what you find are braids and um uh, and tangles and knots and things yeah yeah Yeah. so but basically the the idea is that by rotate by by sorry exchanging these two majoranas positions you get from the electron being in the top house to the electron being in the right house. And the effect of that is a rotation of your qubit state from the up arrow state to the right arrow state, right. if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah. So is that something that is that, so is that something you would control or that's just part of the system? That's, that's something you would control.
1: Okay. So that could be a gate that you perform on your qubit. Right, right, yeah. okay. So that's in fact one of the, one of the gates that, that make up a universal gate set. So remember we talked about that last time. If you right. have a universal set of gates... Of quantum gates then you can do any quantum algorithm that you want yeah um so you you're getting kind of close to being able to you know, <laughs> do a full-on quantum computation by just moving these yeah. Majoranas around it's it's very intriguing there's another reason so okay so that's the reason that it's sort of nice to have this way of representing qubits mm. um there's a more physical reason which is that um the qubits that these Majoranas store or encode are incredibly resilient to noise. The way to think about that is that when you have when you have two uh, two states of a qubit, those two states have some energies associated with them. Usually, so maybe the zero state has a lower energy to the one state. Mm-hmm. If you were to make uh, a qubit in the right arrow state, you really need to know the energy difference between the zero state and the one state very very precisely. Uh, to be able to keep your your qubit in the in the right state mm. in the right arrow state if you if you lose a bit of control over the of the energy difference between those two states then that's equivalent to losing control of your qubit a little bit so maybe some noise comes along and changes the energy a little bit of one of those states then that can cause problems with your with the control that you have over, right, over your right, qubit right right so if you if you remember way back at the beginning of uh, or towards the beginning of the episode I said that um, when you're in this topological state, you have a zero energy uh, state that an electron can inhabit in your superconductor, right? That was this topological invariant that I that I mentioned earlier on in the episode. Right, right. So that is exactly what this analogy of these these two half houses is getting at. Whenever you have these two half houses, they come together to form a full house, and that is something that the electron can reside in right this is the the analogy that we're going with that is the zero energy state right yeah that characterizes or that sort of defines this topological phase that the nanowire can be in okay right and and remember that state is at zero energy and there's nothing there's no sort of perturbation no small perturbation that can change the energy of that state right right the energy of the um of the electron in that in that house, because if it were to change it away from zero, that would be a small perturbation that changed this topological invariant, and we said that that couldn't happen, right? Mm-hmm. So, okay, you uh, you have these two states: uh, no electron in the house, one electron at the house, and they're at the same energy level, both at zero energy, right? There's no energy. Well, there's no energy difference to um, to these two states. That effectively means that this qubit is incredibly impervious to noise there's no uh there's no noise that can come along and change the relative energies of these states and therefore uh, mess up our control of the qubit it's it's wonderfully protected yeah now i i sort of am skirting over um, a little bit of a detail here which is that instead of being exactly at zero energy um this this state that the electron can be in or this you know the the difference between these two states is actually um, just very, very, very small. But the key thing is that as you move these Majoranas further and further apart, that difference between the two energy states gets exponentially smaller. Okay. That is to say that uh, as I move these Majoranas further and further apart, or equivalently, as I grow the length of my, of my nanowire, the level of protection that our qubit has against noise gets exponentially better.
0: Right, right.
1: So I can make as good a qubit as I want. I can have as good a control over my qubit as I want by just m- making, uh, you know, by moving these Majoranas further and further apart. Yeah. So that's the sort of way in which it's resilient to noise. So that's why these these systems are so exciting as, as potential avenues for quantum
0: computation. So what's, I mean, can you give me a sense of the scale that you're talking about by moving them apart? Like, yeah. I'm going to say
1: micrometer scale is the maximum. Again, because I'm in the world of theory, I don't need to worry too much about materials or length scales or anything um, as much as as the next person. So I've just found something here which um, seems to suggest that the length needs to be sort of much larger than 100 nanometers, so maybe on the order of a few, of some, a few micrometers. Right. And... In the, the thickness is going to be really small in comparison to 100 nanometers, so on the order of you know tens of nanometers, maybe.
0: Hmm. Pretty tiny. Pretty tiny.
1: Pretty tiny, yeah. I mean, it's... Yeah, so we say... We talk about these vast distances between the Majoranas and the... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they're basically on top of each other from our perspective, you know, from everyday perspective. Just, just keep your quantum computer in your back pocket. Bring it wherever you go. <laughs> that's it, yeah. Um. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's... um
0: computing with Myronis. honors yeah so i guess final question to you i mean you're you're this is where your head is at this is your research this is what you're studying you've made you've made the case it seems like there's a lot of good features to this what is the 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 issue with implementing this is it really the main drawback the main draw or is yeah. it does it really come down to this you know how do you set this up in nature is it really
1: yeah i mean so there is What's called a reproducibility crisis. So, this is something that's kind of popping up in a lot of areas of science um, over the maybe the past decade or two decades or something like that. And so, you know, there's a mini one going on with the experimental Majorana uh, field. So, people that have, um, or groups that have published papers in very high impact journals like Nature and Science that have supposedly found features of these Majorana fermions basically found these these two states with the same energy these two zero energy states Um, and they purported to find these and then it turned out later that there had been some some fudging of the data Ah. you can you can sort of debate as to whether or not that means that there's been actual solid evidence of Majorana's discovered to date and I think that there is still still good evidence that they have been discovered in labs but it you know I think some people do disagree with that right and that that does sort of give a little pause for thought right. for those of us in the in the field. You know, have they been discovered? Is this actually worth the time and investment to continue pursuing? For example, there's no question that we've built qubits in labs in yeah. other ways. Yeah, yeah. There is certainly a question as to whether or not we've found Majoranas. So, yes, that's definitely a drawback. It's it's a much longer-term project yeah there are also drawbacks on the on the longer-term scale even if we do have a huge number of Majoranas honors that we can closely control and braid with one another and, and and do all these nice things that we would like to do unfortunately braiding doesn't get us a universal quantum gate set like we would like we would want to be able to do uh braiding in order to to perform a universal set of gates because remember we can uh, we can keep the majoranas really far apart through that whole braiding process right, if i exchange right. two majoranas i can you know they, they can be very far apart through the whole process and that means that the qubit can be resilient to noise throughout that whole process and the rotation that we perform by doing that braid of the qubit arrow remember from up to right that rotation is very precise hmm. So it would be lovely if we could if we could do the entire computation by just braiding Majoranas. Unfortunately, they don't quite work that way. So you need to supplement it with with extra steps, mm. and those extra steps are are not as
0: resilient to noise. Right. Yeah. If you need to rely on the standard I'm air quoting standard quantum computer mm. here, you're kind of just introducing yeah, yeah. a step back, a, a link in the chain that is um susceptible to all yeah. that noise and all the problems you're trying to solve in the first place. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So you might say, well, if there is a link in the chain that
1: isn't as strong as the the other ones, well the chain is only as strong as its weakest link. So so what's the point? Why you know why bother? Um but there are there are ways that you can combat those those steps. So it is still useful to have right. these these things that you can do that are resilient to noise you know it's it's useful to have certain gates that you can implement by braiding um and and there is also just the fact that these qubits, if you're just letting them sit there in their state and you're not doing anything to them well they they are very impervious to noise yeah there and there yeah, there are also caveats even to that statement unfortunately, um but you know we we can we can leave yeah. it idealistically,
0: <laughs> yeah I do. I didn't mean to end it on such a downer, but no, because it sounds fascinating. I mean, it really, uh, hmm. you know. Yeah, I
1: mean, I think I like a f- few years ago, when I first heard about this field of, or this this model of quantum computing, which involved braiding, which involved moving particles around one another, that was just incredible to me. I I, I thought that was so amazing and bizarre and, and counterintuitive. So I was very uh, excited to have the opportunity to work on it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's the, you know, I, I, again, like I do a little bit of reading on this stuff and the, you know, and that's one of the things you always hear about, you know, whether it's Google or Microsoft or whomever, it's, they have a problem with, with the noise. They, they have the, they have the device and, but it's not doing what they needed to do. So to have a way that takes care of that, to have a method and a potential way to build that is, it's exciting. It's, it's very exciting. Yeah. I, I, well, I think so. And (laughs) So
1: does Microsoft because Microsoft is is investing in this type of quantum computing oh, really? actually. Wow,
0: I I cannot wait for my Xbox to be able to do some quantum computing, and it's got to <laughs> it got to keep it in the in the refrigerator so it stays nice yeah, and cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you have uh, some liquid helium you, <laughs> around, that will be yeah. that will be useful for that. <laughs> yeah, but the ray tracing yeah. will be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Campbell, thank you um, for letting me talk your ear off, as always.
1: I think it's been a little bit the other way around, so apologies if your ear is falling on the floor,
0: well, dear listener, or Brian. <laughs> Again, ladies and gentlemen, if you have any questions for us, any follow-up questions, um, please send them to our email, which we've definitely set up. It's just it's in the it's in the description. So why would we have to say
1: mm-hmm. it? And as yeah, as we said last time, we are going to respond to your questions. But if you asked a question on the first episode, like after listening to the first episode, and it's gotten to whatever episode this is now, uh, then (laughs) then be patient because uh, we have pre-recorded these. So um, we 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 will be getting
0: to questions soon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Anyway, that has been this edition of Question Field. Again, the place where you ask the, well, you will ask the questions (laughs) and we will field them. And we will see you Uh, next time. Have a good one.
1: You've been listening to Question Field. Question Field is a game media production and is produced by its hosts, Campbell McLaughlin and Brian Buchanan. For more information, please check us out on Instagram at Question Field Pod, on Twitter at Quest Field Pod, and on TikTok at question field if you have a question you'd like to submit or would simply like to leave a message please send us an email at questionfieldpod at gmail.com recently the james webb telescope discovered five new stars located in the review section of your favorite podcast app thank you for
0: listening